and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 146. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, once again, we do have a Q&A episode for you. So Jack, going to hit you up with this first question. It says, why do we need to be in a larger calorie surplus to lose body fat relative to how many calories we need to build muscle mass? So I'll give an example of what this question is asking. And for example, let's say we want to be in uh, one, 200 calorie surplus each day to gain muscle, but why can't we commence weight loss just by dropping your calories by a hundred and initiating weight loss through that method? Yeah. And arguably it's a decent question, isn't it? Mm, Yeah. And we'll do our best to break it down into certain components, but I think what I would say from the get-go is often people commence weight loss, assuming they are tracking calories, they conduct weight loss from a period of gaining weight. Mm. So usually most people won't do a maintenance phase and therefore transitioning from a surplus, you then have to take into account you're in a surplus to then achieve weight loss and achieve consistent weight loss at the rate that you want. So like between half a percent to 1% of your body weight per week and also factoring in metabolic adaptation. You don't want to have to establish a deficit and then change it after a week in a deficit. Yeah, that's a really good point to make. So let's say that someone's baseline was for their maintenance calories was like 2,500 calories, but they were in a period of where they were trying to purposely build some muscle, put on some body weight. So they're eating closer to 2,800 calories per day. But now they've decided they want to go into a cut so they can't just drop their calories by 500 from their surplus because then they would technically only be in around a 200 calorie deficit you would presume and yeah you're very likely to hit a plateau so Mm -hmm. you could say that okay well if you're going from a surplus you might have to quote unquote be more aggressive and drop your calories more substantially than 500 maybe you need to bring them down by 800 closer to 2,000 calories or 1,000, bring them down closer to 1,800 calories. Depends on your desired rate of loss, but also something to be examined in minutia. You could also mention the thermic effect of food. And mm-hmm. if you're eating less food, you'll be burning less calories digesting that food. I think another really important point to make is that when you're comparing losing body fat and adipose tissue compared to actually building muscle mass, Calories and nutrition matter the most if your sole goal is to lose body weight. However, calories and nutrition arguably don't matter the most if your goal is to gain muscle mass. Like, of course, they still matter. They still play a significant role. And we advise that if people want to build a significant amount of muscle mass, they are in an energy surplus, but it doesn't matter the most compared to losing body weight because Ultimately, to lose body weight, you just need to be in an energy deficit. Mm. But to build muscle mass, you need more than just an energy surplus. Unfortunately, we can't just eat our way to being bodybuilders. Mm. And also to to maximize body fat loss as opposed to body weight loss, you need that element of resistance training as Mm. well. To maintain that muscle mass. Yeah, another factor to consider as well is the rate at which we can gain muscle is much slower than the rate at which we can lose body fat. And that's why those the reference ranges for losing body weight is four times faster than the rate at which we recommend gaining weight for muscle gain. Mm-hmm. So 
the rate at which we recommend gaining weight for muscle gain is anywhere from like 0.5% to 1.5% of your body weight gain per month. Whereas for weight loss, it's more like 05 to 1.5% of your body weight lost per week. Yeah, absolutely. Because building new muscle tissue on the body, it's a very demanding process. And like we said, it requires a hell of a lot more than just a calorie surplus, even though calorie surplus is certainly beneficial. But the amount of muscle mass that you can actually build it's heavily going to be dictated by your training. Obviously, you need to be providing yourself with that exercise stimulus and that resistance training component to send your body a message to say, hey, I need you to build more tissue. We mm. can't just wish it into action, unfortunately. But obviously, so you need to have a structured training program. You need to be training hard. You need to be progressively overloading, but also your health status is gonna play a huge role, your age, your gender, your stress levels, your hormonal environment. So many different things are at play for whether or not you can build muscle mass and at the rate at which you build it as well. Mm. Yeah, a lot of the time we get questions or comments upon certain Instagram posts by people who are like, like we suggest weight gain for maximizing muscle gain, but then they comment saying, I've tried that before, I just gain fat mm -hmm. or like I don't build any muscle. And that's a very vague thing to say because there's just so many variables to examine when someone says something like that. For example, what was your rate of gain? If you're gaining like one kilo per week, obviously the vast majority of that is going to be body fat. Mm -hmm. Or if your training is absolutely crap, then you're not really gonna build much muscle either. You can't just go through the motions with your training. And then something we don't mention, we haven't really mentioned too much, but genetics, like genetics, you can't change it yet, but it plays a very, very significant role as well. Yeah, absolutely. To how susceptible you are to mm. actually putting on muscle mass. And that's why I think it's just so gosh darn beneficial to have a coach if you are pursuing to actually change your body composition significantly over time mm. so that someone can actually be looking over all of these variables and saying, okay, yes, we're putting you in into an energy surplus, but it's a controlled one only by a few hundred calories above your maintenance per day, not a thousand calories above your maintenance per day. And also someone who is in control of your training program and they're kind of on your ass about, are you training hard enough? And they're getting you to send them training footage and they're honest with you too and saying like, hey, I think you can lift a bit heavier or I think you actually could have pumped out a few more reps in that set. So that's why it's beneficial to have someone in your corner too, to keep pushing you so that you can make those changes. Yep. I think this links into the second question nicely as well. Mm -hmm. So this one says, how often and for how long should you stay in a calorie surplus? Well, I'm going to use those magic words where it depends. <laughs> depends how much muscle you want to build, what your starting body composition is, lots of different other factors as well. So I think there's another saying we could uh, quote here saying, how long is a piece of string? <laughs> mm, most certainly. So let's start off with like, what is your goal? Is your goal to build one kilo of muscle, is it to achieve a certain look? Is it to continue gaining muscle indefinitely and trying to build as much as possible? Also, what is your starting body composition? Because mm. we don't want to gain weight too aggressively or for too long if you're just going to exceed your body fat to a place which is fairly unproductive. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all really good points. And 
what about how much of an energy surplus should people be in? Because we hear different numbers quoted all the time. And mm. of course, it really does depend. You'll yeah. hear on social media how people say, oh, you only need to be in probably a 100 to 200 calorie surplus above your maintenance per day consistently to put on muscle mm. mass. But Gary Slater and Eric Helms, they actually did this great paper back in 2019 talking about is an energy surplus required for athletes when they are doing resistance training in order to maximize their rate of muscle gain? Short answer, <laughs> yes, an energy surplus is required, but they actually quoted some numbers that are quite higher than 100 to 200 calories per day. And they actually recommended that athletes start off in what they said was a modest energy surplus. And they actually use kilojoules. They said 1,500 kilojoules to 2,000 kilojoules per day. So in terms of calories, that equals out to be around 358 to 478 calories above your maintenance per day to build muscle mass in the long term. And that was maximally. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess the only kind of rebuttal I would have to that, not that I want to rebut mm-hmm. Eric Helms. Or Gary. <laughs> or Gary. <laughs> but, and I haven't looked at this paper, you were the one who looked it up. But uh, one thing I would want to ask is, even though it might be more optimal to gain muscle on that much more, like, is it worth the additional fat gain that mm, comes with it? Of course. Because... How long can you persist with that surplus for, even if you might be able to gain more muscle? Because we know that being in a larger surplus, you will gain more muscle, Mm -hmm. but you'll also gain more fat with it. So Mm -hmm. it goes hand in hand. Yeah, honestly, like the question of how much muscle mass can you actually build? It's a serious mystery question because Mm. there's just so many different factors at play. So there's never just going to be solely one answer. I've, I've heard this number quoted that if you were to optimize all of your variables, the body is capable of building about 10 grams worth of new skeletal muscle tissue per day. If like for all, the average person. For the average person. So and, there'll be standard deviation above and below that. Yeah, exactly. So there'll be like Keefe West on the top <laughs> end of the standard deviation there. Me Wait. and you probably in the middle and then, I don't know. <laughs> we won't mention who's down the bottom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're nice on the TVD podcast, but 10 grams of new skeletal muscle tissue per day. To me, that's, that sounds about right. Cause if you think about it, you know, that's about 300 grams of skeletal muscle mass, not body weight put on per month. And then per year, 300 times 12, what's that? 3,600. So 3.6 kilograms worth of muscle per year. Mm. That sounds that sounds about right. Ballpark. Yeah. yeah, I mean, given that it's a fairly vague recommendation mm-hmm. or guideline, yeah, that sounds quite accurate. Yeah, but again, it's just it's so difficult mm. because you have to be providing yourself with that stimulus. And which muscle groups are people training? Full body splits. Or how advanced are they as well? Yeah, absolutely. And what's their nutritional intake like? What's their hormonal status like? How old are they? Mm. Absolutely everything. So it's very difficult. But I'd say we had to give a number, roughly 10 grams a day. (laughs) So that just goes to show, guys, that if you're gaining one kilogram a week, probably overshooting it a little bit, Mm. you know, because that technically you're probably only gaining around actual 70 grams of muscle mass a week. But if you're gaining one kilogram on the scale per week, probably just need to cut it back a little bit. Hey, guys, just a reminder that we post regular content on our Instagram and YouTube channel. 
You can find those platforms by searching The Bodybuilding Dietitians. See you there. Yeah, and that's why uh, I'm sure you've heard of the term like your maintenance is a moving target. Mm. And like Aiden, the dietitian, has talked, he uses that expression a lot, which I like. And your surplus is also a moving target as well, which is why I, I, I don't think I've ever used for any client, okay, you're in a X amount surplus because mm. I just don't find it. In theory, it's nice to say that and it sounds cool to be like, okay, you're in a 200 calorie surplus. We're going to keep you out there for your Mm -hmm. gaining phase. But I just use the rate of gain as the main practical Mm -hmm. uh, component here. So if someone is gaining at 1% of their body weight per month, that's an appropriate amount of weight gain. And therefore, they're going to be achieving the calorie surplus that we need. Mm -hmm. But because the calorie surplus is a moving target, let's say you expend more energy, you'll then need to eat a little bit more food. And like most people don't want to be changing their macros every single day to accommodate for the extra activity. So it's better just to have some consistent numbers. Yeah, I totally agree. And just track general trends over time. Mm. And I'd say it's almost like a very educated guess. Yeah. (laughs) And I know that you used to do this with your nutrition, Jack, because over time you identified that, hey, I think that I am burning more calories when I train legs compared to when I train upper body. And over time, your general trend on the scale was kind of showing that. So then you did an educated guess on how many calories you were probably burning and your energy requirements that day to make the energy surplus relative each day. Mm. So then you'd eat what, like 50 grams less of carbs on your upper body days compared to leg days? Yeah, approximately. And then an extra like 50 to 75 carb less on a rest day. Mm -hmm. And that was just an educated guess. You weren't like actually tracking, am I burning exactly 200 extra calories on my leg days compared to my upper body days? So I must eat an additional 50 grams of carbs. Mm. You were just like, sounds about right. Yeah, I looked at the trends and then uh, adjusted my nutrition based on those trends. Mm -hmm. And in most cases, I think that's appropriate to fuel for the work required. I agree. And uh, also to achieve the surplus necessary. Mm-hmm. But did we even answer this question? How often and how long should you stay in a surplus? <laughs> how often and how long? So how long, as long as possible, while mm-hmm. you still maintain good body composition. Mm-hmm. How often will be dictated by how long you do it for. So if you do it and you achieve the top end of body fat then you would undertake a mini cut. And this is speaking very generally and at the same time quite specific for our sort of bodybuilding specific clients Mm -hmm. or people who have very dominant physique orientated Mm -hmm. goals. So they would undertake those cycles of gaining weight for as long as possible until they uh, reach a peak of either body fat or other biological factors such as appetite or training performance might provide a sign to reduce body fat. And then they would reduce body fat until they, they, they can stimulate a more productive gaining phase and then repeat that. So mm-hmm. you can do it as often as you want to for as long as you want to to achieve your desired physique, which if you are a bodybuilder will probably be never. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> never quite get there until you throw in the towel and say, yeah. I'm done with this, but not for us. <laughs> we'll have gray hairs before that even is a thought. But I think that bodybuilders should be spending more time in a calorie surplus or at least at maintenance calories but preferably a surplus Mm. if you're chasing body composition changes long term and you want to be the biggest and baddest in the gym 
you need a calorie surplus for that. Yeah. That's relative to how long you should be dieting for. So we have that approximate ratio of one to four. So like for every one month in a deficit, you should be having four months in a surplus. Mm. So let's say you're in a deficit for two months, that's eight months of gaining. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really good guideline to go off. Or if you were to put it relative to a comp prep, if you did a six month prep, then that would be 24 months in a surplus and maintenance phases with a few little mini cuts sprinkled in there. But mm. the majority of the time, you should be in a well-fed state relative yeah. to how long you're in a deficit. Mm. I guess a practical example for, for me, I finished my comp prep in May of 2021 and I'll be competing again in September of or October of 2023. I'll be starting my comp prep in probably around April of 2023. So between May 2021 and April of 2023, I'll probably only be having one deficit mm-hmm. throughout that time, which might go anywhere from probably two to three months, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, these are general guidelines too. There's always Mm. going to be exceptions to the rule. And it depends on how much muscle mass you also need to build for your category too. And how susceptible are you to building that? You know, if someone wants to compete in a category that doesn't require as much muscle, or they already have an appropriate amount of muscle for that category compared to something like, so you're talking about bikini compared to bodybuilding, relatively, you probably do need more time to build the physique for a bodybuilder compared to like an ICM bikini competitor. You probably mm. don't need to spend two years in a building phase. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, so always exceptions to the rule. Jack, this next question, it says, how can I create a certain shape, e.g. a smaller waist during training? So with training specifically, then we're limited to changing your physique, so building more muscle. Whereas if we involve nutrition, it's a slightly different story. Mm -hmm. But training alone, like giving the illusion of a smaller waist, like you're looking at that Dorito shape Mm -hmm. or the upside down. When you think of a Dorito, do you think of like the base, like the two points being at the bottom or the top? I think of the two points being at the top. Oh, really? Yeah, like an upside down triangle. Yeah. But I wouldn't say people are Doritos because I look at people head to toe. So if someone's like got tiny little calves and then they go up to like these massive shoulders. Well, I guess if the the base of the Dorito was their waist and then the top of the Dorito were their shoulders. Okay, so you've got two hot dogs. You've got two buns. Where did hot dogs come from? (laughs) You've got two hot dogs as legs. You've got two burger buns at the back for a butt. Mm, No, And then you've got a Dorito at the top. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I'll go with that. What what a beautiful physique this would be. Hey guys, just a reminder that we don't just coach physique athletes, but we do coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. Therefore, if you are interested in getting in touch with us regarding our coaching services, you can always head over to our website at www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com or alternatively, click the link in the show notes below. Back to the Dorito. So Mm. Dorito, I think more of like that timer with the sand in it. Mm, which is an hourglass yeah so an hourglass timer yep yeah well uh, we kind of answered then haven't we so essentially you want to build up your shoulders and your lats and minimize any sort of hypertrophy to your waist Mm -hmm. i guess which is a bit of a controversial topic and it's kind of hard to do so Mm -hmm. there's not really 
people say, okay, avoid squats and deadlifts if you want to have a thin waist, but that's just not the truth. Mm -hmm. The only thing I will say for that is probably avoid directly training your obliques if you already have fairly thick obliques. Mm -hmm. Like I have, I don't need my obliques any thicker. I don't want to train them and I don't train them. I train my abdominals and my serratus Mm -hmm. because my serratus is a bit underdeveloped. Serratus is like those finger-like muscle groups over your ribs. And I see these people in the gym doing like side bends and they'll load up like 40 kilo dumbbell and do side bends and it's not doing them any favors from a, from unless they're like a, a hockey player or a rugby player where they need some strong obliques, mm-hmm. but it's not going to benefit the average person from a physique standpoint, yeah. in my opinion. But I know you really like the obliques, but I, I don't. I, I hate think the they're, obliques. I think they're a beautiful muscle group when someone is super lean, mm. but also... Going back to that squat and deadlift argument, people yeah. say, don't squat, don't deadlift if you want if you want a small waist, you know? Squats and deadlifts are just going to blow up your erectors. Oh, it kind of goes back to the very first question that is in how much muscle mass can I realistically gain? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm personally under the impression that a lot of people don't train hard enough and they don't train consistently enough to be hesitant to do a squat or a deadlift because we know that... This shiz takes time. This shiz takes a remarkable amount of effort and years. So unless someone is actually consistently squatting and deadlifting for like You're not even, years on end, yeah. how are they actually going to hypertrophy their lower back and their waist that much? It's not even a, it's an isometric contraction anyway. Like you're not <laughs> undertaking your abdominals through a, a range of motion yeah. in either of those movements. So how do you expect it to hypertrophy to a significant degree? It's always bothered me because it almost ties into, you know, that ideology of how some women don't want to lift weights because they're scared they're going to get too bulky. Mm. When like people don't realize how difficult it actually is to put on muscle mass. Like, yeah. per, I, 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 to be honest, I actually don't even wish it was that easy because I actually really enjoy the challenge mm. and the daily grind. But people still are under that impression that if they do a little bit of work, they're going to get these like phenomenal maximal effort results. Mm. But that's not the case. So yeah, mm. you're not going to do a few squats and deadlifts think, and then have think, an, an amazing back. Sorry. I think some people, I think it's more common for some people to misinterpret fat gain with muscle gain. Mm. Like they'll go to the gym and they'll eat more food and then they'll gain weight and they're like, oh, I gain muscle so easily. Like when you explain it to them, I just really don't think that people actually think that they gain muscle really quickly. Mm-hmm. I find it hard to believe, but I'm sure there are some people out there who truly think they will just pack on muscle too quickly. Yeah. But if you do, do take advantage of that, please, for the yeah. love of God. Like you could be a world-class bodybuilder if that was actually <laughs> the case. <laughs> anyway, getting back to the question, essentially you just want to train as you should be training. Yeah. It's We don't need to kind of make it rocket science. Like train your muscle groups like there are particular muscle groups that will contribute to a more dorito shape so Mm -hmm. to speak like your deltoids and your lats Mm -hmm. and your quad sweep etc this is all a sport of illusions Mm. so yeah absolutely if you want something to appear smaller relative to everything else then yeah and it depends which way you're facing Mm -hmm. if you're looking at a side profile then you want to train the glutes and the pecs a bit more yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it depends on which angle. It depends on which pose you're in up on stage, eh? Mm. But yeah, just make sure that your lower body is well developed. You've got these beautiful sweeping quads, and then you've got these nice cap delts with big lats. But also, you still should train your core because training your core when you're lean, it gives you the illusion that you have a leaner core too. Mm. Like there's some people out there who won't train their core because they're, again, scared it will hypertrophy too much. But mm. then you get to a point where you're trying to get really lean. And if you don't have abdominal muscles under there, arguably you just don't have a complete physique. Mm. Yeah, I found subjectively this improvement season for me. I've been training my core the same frequency, but just a little bit more strategically, like I'm also training my serratus. And I would say this is the most favorable my core has been or waist has been at this body weight. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I've probably gained muscle overall as well, but my core is definitely the tightest that it has been. Yeah, definitely. But we also have to take into account people's skeletal structures too, because the way that your waist actually looks, let's say that you don't have much muscle mass on you and you're just standing straight up and down, totally relaxed. The actual size of your waist is going to be dictated by how narrow or wide your pelvis is relative to your rib cage mm. and also your clavicles as well. So that your skeleton's gonna play a huge role in this. Mm. So if you have like a small pelvis and then a, a moderate rib cage and then a really long wide clavicles, like that'll be most ideal then. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> like skeletally, you'll, you will probably look like that Dorito. <laughs> But the way that your muscle and fat's distributed, yeah, <laughs> probably not. I think what what you want the most is you want a don't you want a wide pelvis and then wide clavicles? Yeah, I, I think we will have to ask this for Lawrence once he gets on. He'll probably know more about it than us. <laughs> Lawrence, how do I build a tiny waist? And are waist trainers necessary? That's probably another thing. I wouldn't definitely not go down the waist trainer route mm. and the corset route because yeah, you're literally just squeezing mm. your internal organs there. We've actually done a podcast in the past on waist trainers. You can scroll down and actually find that. I think it's in the title. Mm. Yeah, well, I think we answered that one quite comprehensively and we do have a fun one to finish up on. All right, people love these sort of questions. So favorite dessert of all time. Jack, what's your favorite dessert of all time? Mm. Again, it's a little bit difficult to think about this being in my current state. Mm. But if I had to say something, a apple crumble with vanilla ice cream. No way. You and I have the exact same favorite dessert. Really? I thought yours was like blueberry pie or something. Oh, blueberry pie with vanilla ice cream is certainly a winner, but it's not my top. Uh, I wouldn't say an apple crumble. I would say an apple pie for me. You don't like the crumble on top? I do like the crumble on top. But what's the benefit of the pie top over the crumble? Mm, I don't know. I just prefer that pie crust. Okay. Fair yeah. Enough. Cause you can like peel it off and yeah. Vanilla ice cream, vanilla ice cream goes with like any dessert, man. It is the best ice cream flavor mm -hmm. quality one, not just your standard Peters or mm -hmm. Paul's. You got to go Sarah Lee. And for apples, Jack, what type of apple? Are we going granny mm -hmm. Smith or are we going like a red apple? Probably granny Smith. I would yeah. Say. Yeah. Granny Smith for sure. Well, that's that. What would be, do you have a second favorite? I'm trying to think what I had on my cheat day, I think. Dude, you had a lot on your cheat day. I did have a lot. <laughs> if you missed that, that one, on YouTube, <laughs> go check out the TBD YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I think I had 
I had Ben and Jerry's. I also had like that whipped cream. Probably. Oh, I also had those cheesecakes. Mm. Carrot cake. That would mm. be my second favorite. Carrot cake's good. Mm. My parents actually had a wedding cake as a carrot cake. Amazing. That's good. Yeah. It, well, I wasn't there to taste it, but I bet it was good. On Hawaiian beach, was it? Yes, that's right. Back in the 1980s. But I'd say my second favorite one would still go in for vanilla ice cream. It just goes with everything. But I'd go for like a super rich chocolate mug cake kind of thing. Mm. And not just not just the cake, but it's got to have like those layers of icing and like chocolate yeah. ganache in it. Yum. Mm-hmm. And then pop it in the microwave for a little bit. Yeah, okay. that'd be good stuff. Yeah, I mean, something because uh, we did mention YouTube. Like a lot of people, when I do question polls, they ask about the YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I guess just to quickly say, because I think you still put the advertisements on this, which mention YouTube. Oh yes, perhaps I do. Yeah, so I think the YouTube was just a little bit too much combined with everything else. Mm. So rather than kind of spreading too thinly, we decided to just do Instagram and the podcast. And of course, we have a full time job of coaching as yes. well. <laughs> That's actually the main thing that we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. You know, mm. like, I think that if you're going to be really good at something, you should probably pick one or two avenues yeah. rather than just take advantage of every single social media stream. Mm. Like, And that's why YouTubers, they basically just pursue YouTube, man, or podcasters just pursue podcasts or Instagrammers, TikTokers, whatever, usually only pursue one stream. If you're trying to do like five at the same time, it is way too freaking much. Unless you've got like a team of people helping you, but it's just you, me, and the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> they don't help much. No, they don't. Dude, they just live the life. They just eat. I'd like to see you on um, TikTok though, doing some TikTok dances. I've never, I don't even know what the app looks like. I've never downloaded it. I wouldn't know how to work it. Mm, but yeah. you are good at dancing though, so. Well, thank you. <laughs> but like, dude, I can hardly get my own Instagram together, so I definitely can't go downloading another app. <laughs> Anyway, Jack, what's something that you learned this week? I'll let you start this one off. Okay. Well, I learned this week that Hawaiian pizza isn't actually from Hawaii. Hawaiian pizza was actually invented in Canada in 1962. So Hawaiian pizza is actually from my native country. (laughs) Oh, Canada. (laughs) But Hawaiian pizza, it originates from Canada, but... Hawaii is obviously a state don't in the US. Don't you feel US. like Hawaii should be... Like, when you think of Hawaii, do you, I think of a country, though, don't you? Mm. As opposed to a state? Yeah, it's pretty far away. But also, what's whack is that Alaska is part of the US, too. Mm. But Alaska's, like, up north to the west in Canada. But it's, like, a state that's, like, just separated from the rest of the USA mm. states. Yeah. Well, I learned this week, very simple, that, like, some my brother asked for a rat... I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. Why would he want a rat? Who wouldn't want a rat? You and I had rats when we were growing up. They're great pets. Yeah, but a, a rat apparently is a rapid test. That's Oh, uh, so did he say rat or rap? He said rat, R-A-T. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. That's what I learned. Okay. It took me a, a quick Google search to figure out what a rat was. <laughs> And you didn't even say Did you dot. Google what is a rat? I said, yeah, what is a R dot A dot T? But he didn't, he didn't put the dots in. He just said, hey, Jack, can you pick me up a rat? <laughs> Do you want to let the listeners know what your rat was called? No, I don't really remember. <laughs> yes, I remember. How could you forget it was your rat? 
No, I don't really want to share what it was called. (laughs) Jack had a rat called Radicus. I think that's so cool. And I had a rat. Typical six-year-old name for a rat. I had a rat called Mozzarella. It was like, I think that's a great name because it was like the Cinderella of rats. But I named all my rats after cheese because I I actually had one rat, Mozzarella, and I got her from the pet store. And unknowingly, she was actually pregnant with six other rats. During that interim, I got her friend, which was actually her sister, which I called Parmesan. But then a few days later, mozzarella gave birth to six little baby rats. So I I was nine years old, and in my cage, I had eight rats. So eight different types of cheese. Eight different types of cheese. Do you know the names? No. Okay, so there was cheddar, bluey, plastic, Swiss, brie, and camembert. <laughs> and then mozzarella and Parmesan. Very cool. Can you tell why I love cheese so much now? Mm. Yeah. Those were the days. <laughs> I much prefer two dogs, but that's just me. <laughs> hey, you know, it's it's good to experience different pets at different times of life. But anyway, I think that's enough for this episode. So guys, if you did enjoy it, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag TBD, and we'll catch you in the next one. 